Sean Carroll Sandy, founder of The Selling Agency, where we coach humans how to sell to other humans instead of like sales zombies or sales assholes. And wait, hey, you're listening to The Sassholes. <laughs> Welcome to Sassholes with decades of making interesting decisions. Jamie and Pete are dedicated to helping aspiring sales leaders accelerate revenues with their no BS approach and tactics. Our show is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. We'd like to thank the Man Farm Analytics, Trent S. and Aaron J. for their continued support. Manfarm.com unlock key account growth, smart software to bring account planning and relationship intelligence into your CRM, making key account management practice data-driven, predictable, and scalable. Go to demandfarm.com, ask for Ironman. Hey, check out Brett Keltner's Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass at Winalytics.com. In eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in a new buyer environment. Sign your team up for the Masterclass today at Winalytics.com. If you'd like to help us out to improve the quality of our content, go to Patreon.com slash Sassholes. Okay, time for shout-outs. Jessica Nelson, New Gig, Senior Director, Sales Development, Lead IQ. Scott Dacus, start a new position as Senior Human Resources Business Partner at City and County of Denver. John Dugan, five years at Workday. Nick Espinoza, starting a new gig as Press Director at InfoSec Court. Nick Schwarzkopf, three years at Upwork. Dan Steiler, started his own gig at CCR Search. And a happy birthday to Joe Lundberg, Nick Nair, Jessica Hwang, and Ronnie Mishner. Sean Sandy, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. You know, anyone, like you just said, any anything that's sweary, is, is you're my people. <laughs> well, that's why we're the sassholes. We're an acquired taste. We're like uh, a shot of Malort. Acquire us is what he means. <laughs> so That's a good one. Very rare acquired taste. Yeah, exactly. I call it qualifying your body. So, so Sean, you got some uh, cred. You got some street cred. Give us your background. Why should people listen to you? Earn the right. Well, you know, I'm going to start with. Um, my origin story, right? Doesn't every, like, every Marvel, every character has an origin story? Because I think it's so important to understand, like, your your genius and where that comes from. So everyone's upbringing, your environment, that nature and nurture, the, the, the shit you've been through, the trauma, the stuff that you've survived, all that, I think, it, it, it pays in uh, advance, like that personality DNA that you don't ever escape. And, and then you become an adult and you go, why am I the way that I am? But if you can kind of go back and sit through that and figure it out, um, you'll understand. So I, my origin story, I'm a middle child. Um, I was raised by wolves. Um, Jan, Jan Brady. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I spent a lot of time by myself. And when you spend that time by yourself, I lived out in the middle of nowhere on a dirt road on 10 acres behind a blueberry farm. I was always exploring, always curious. And I, I learned how to entertain myself. And in that, I really think kind of made me a thinker. Like I, I'm i I'm an extrovert, introvert. I need that time alone to think. Like I can only people so much, right? I love people, but you gotta have that time. So grew up a middle child, spent a lot of time by myself. And then my mom was also this amazing, well, I can make that better. Well, I can do that better, super, frugal but practical you know like this scandinavian dutch german background of pragmatic and so you know she would not buy the expensive jeans for me she's like well that's stupid let's we can spend our money on something else so you know and you're in school kids are like where'd you get those jeans kmart you know i had to sort of start building an armor which was to develop my own style and, and to develop my own way of doing things which was to say if this was trendy and this was popular i'm just gonna go the other way and what happened was that made me a, a questioner, a pushback of authority. It, it helped me get out of the comfort zones that most people are really satisfied living in. And that really built who I am and how I do things and what I bring out of others too. So fast forward many years, and I'll tell you how this paid off in my first sales role. So I live outside of Memphis, Tennessee, and I took my first sales role out of college at a TV station. 
And what I didn't know, because I didn't understand ratings at that point, was that I worked for the shittiest station in the market. Really, really bad. <laughs> like, really bad. I mean, I would I'd be on the phone with an agency and they'd say, I'm sorry, is there a typo? Is that a 5.0 rating? And I'd be like, nope, that's a 0. 0.50 rating. <laughs> it was so bad. Like, reruns of Andy Griffith on, like, Channel 50 at 5 o'clock beat our news consistently i'm so, your audience Opie is great yeah i mean I, so i was like oh crap i'm never gonna make any money so what i had to figure out was i was selling the same thing as my counterparts but i had to find people not that wanted to buy ratings i had to find people that wanted to be on tv which was a whole other market a whole other pond to fish in, right? It was, this is where, you know, everyone else is competing for the same fish in the same ponds, thinking they have the same bait. And I just went out and I'm like, let me go, let me go to the places people, let me lock the doors and go to the places people don't want to go. <laughs> and that is how I became really successful there. Worked really, really well. So it was um, a big learning lesson to understand people's currency and to not fish in the same pond. I went and found some other fish with some, you know, fishy bait and reeled them in. And I mean, they were, well, I was going to say they weren't fishy, but I'm going to tell you that a lot of those clients were fishy and we had to get cashier's checks in advance. <laughs> well, back, back in the day, you're selling, I mean, God, God forbid selling radio, you're just selling air and you got ratings, you know, mm -hmm. talk about subjectivity. Then the internet comes yeah. along and people are like, you know, counting clicks, uh, you had a great training to, to, to get into the internet, didn't you? Absolutely. Uh, and then I got out right before all the digital stuff, <laughs> which was good. And, and, and I went on to several other sales roles. I had my own business, um, you know, and, and then at a certain point in one of my sales um, roles, I realized that I had a very unique way of going to market, uh, which always landed me in trouble with the marketing department. <laughs> marketing today, sucks. Well, even today with some of my clients, the marketing department will call me like, you want salespeople to do video? Well, they need to do that and they need it. I'm like, so now it's just a don't ask, don't tell kind of situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. So <laughs> but, was that part yeah. of your whole, is that part of your whole thing is videos first? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it's part of, so I am well, not going to say. That, not the videos that they hold up a sheet of paper with your name on it. It's the exact same video over and over again. <laughs> No, I don't like cheesy technique, tactic, or cliche stuff. That's what like about TikToks. Thing. You can do TikTok if you want. Uh, listen, and you'll the our whole ethos is not manipulation. You will never see me talk about a tactic or a technique or manipulation in any of our training. It's how do we understand how people feel, think, behave act naturally. It's really everything I do is based on biology, psychology, sociology, even anthropology. It's like our, our most, um, the, the course I start with training and doing skills builders on to start with in the beginning is always called the Jedi communication. Become a Jedi master of communication because you're using the force. You're using the, the nature of the universe around you, how people naturally think, feel, act, and behave to communicate with them instead of tactics, techniques, manipulation. If someone can do a tactic, so can everybody else, you know, and it becomes very, very old, very, very quickly because your buyers smell it and they go, mm, mm, pass, you know, instead of genuine connection and understanding the biology and fear and all that kind of stuff. Once you do that, it's just, it's just a natural kind of organic sequence. If people don't want to talk to you and they're not for you, then you A, either aren't pre-qualifying the right people, or B, it's okay. It's not about you. It's fine. Move on. We'll, we'll deal with it. How do you know, tricking so how people. Do you know, how do you know when you're when you're looking at this and you're, you're dealing with the bigger sales staff? Like once you get outside of like 10 sales reps, it's really hard to sort of review everything that's going on, right? And how do you know that what every rep is doing is 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 what you expect? You're teaching them to do certain things. You're expecting them to do certain things. How do you monitor that they are doing certain things? Because as you know, in every sales rep's career at one company, there's ebbs and flows of, <laughs> I'm happy. Oh, I had a bad week. I'm down. 
I'm looking for a job. Oh, now I'm back committed. And <laughs> what I notice in the data is for some weird reason in their self-reported data, their activity always stays the same, yet you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not committed to that activity or it's bullshit. How do you go about dealing with that? Well, you know, it's funny because all my biggest slumps have always come after my best wins, right? Because what do you do? You put all your time and energy into this and then boom, you crash and you've let off the gas in the prospecting and the nurturing and those activities and things like that. So, and it's going to happen. It's, here's what I think people take for granted. Sales is a mental and emotional game. It's, I, I mean, and physical, but it is like you are mentally and emotionally giving to people you're putting your heart and your soul into it it's not data entry it's not this you're like you're giving yourself you're giving your all so of course you're going to have some ebbs and flows my goal is it for not to be a roller coaster it might be like more like a kiddie ride you know and that comes with doing the things consistently knowing um you know knowing what your sales cycle is and and really doing a great job pre-qualifying i wish so I have this, these few sayings that I would have tattooed. If I were the tattooing sort, one of the things I would say is tattooed on me is pre-qualify harder. I wish I would have learned that earlier in my career, pre-qualify harder so that you understand exactly who I call them your freaks are fly your freak flags. So you can track the freaks. Right. But as far as knowing what your sales reps, your sales team members are doing, it's hard when you have a large team, but, and, and I found so unfortunately so much of the time sales directors and sales managers spend their time managing management. It sucks. But for people developers, go on calls with them, sit on calls with them. I will tell you one of my favorite things to do is to be a wing woman with my sellers that whenever I'm in a sales uh, organization and coaching and training, put me in coach. I love that. I love to see what they're doing. I love to see what they're saying. There is no better way to offer feedback than when you're listening to a call or when you're in the moment and you see what they're doing. It's just a people will learn so much better if you're able to see it and give feedback versus, you know, see it in the in the results that they're not getting. Sean, let's let's talk about your tattoo uh, pre-qualifier more. Who's whose yes. job is that? Well, you know, I will I will tell you, I don't generally work um, with large enterprise corporations. So I'll give you my experience from midsize and smaller organizations. Um, it starts, it's going to go way back. It needs to start with the strategy and the culture that you're that you're setting up. If you don't know exactly who it is that you want to work with, exactly who you want to attract, exactly who wants to work with you, you don't know what you stand for. That yeah, that, that's what I'm talking about. You're a structure right. expert. So you're at a mid-sized company. You're a CRO at the selling agency. That's a different, I'm guessing that's a mid-sized company. Well, I, I chose my title CRO, CRO before CRO was like even a thing I'd heard of. I was just like, so you you're the one that started it. Yeah. Did you yeah, get a raise? Yeah, that's my company. <laughs> exactly. Oh. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> so, so if you're going to do a structure, are the reps supposed to pre-qualify? Is sales ops supposed to pre-qualify? Like, what what does pre-qualify mean or pre-qualify more? How should they be pre-qualified and whose job is it? Who should own it? Well, the, the sales reps own the act of doing it. I mean, unless you're in an inside sales situation. You know what I found, and I will tell you, is that you could look at pre-qualify, you could look at sales cycle, you could Google sales process, and you will find 50, 100,000 different explanations, examples. Here's what I think, right? The salespeople, if something's not working, it's either your messaging or your, your targets. You're either not sending the right messaging or you're not pre-qualifying. So sales reps, in, you need to definitely be understanding how you need pre-qualify. Are, are these the right size deals? Are this What are the right motivations that we're looking for? Why do our customers buy us? Why do future customers want to buy us? So from there, your sales leaders need to be having those conversations of what makes a successful client for us? Who do we want more of? So then they can direct and guide the sales teams. Smaller sales teams, there's a lot of fitfo. Figure it the, you know, fitfo. You know that one, right? Figure the fuck out. Sales sellers have to do that. Hey, let me get that large... one. Is that another tattoo? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fitfo and I'm GTA. not going to ask where they are. Well, I, I don't have any yet. <laughs> They're hypothetical. Said, she said if she was a tattoo person. I'm, right, right. Yeah. 
Well, you get yeah. these kids, these kids that are coming off the street, they just come out of training and they're like, here you go. Here's your Salesforce. Click on. Oh, I'm going to call this one. We don't want right. to give them that responsibility. No, so is it no. the leaders at sales ops, revenue ops? What is it? Well, I think it's different in every organization. I'm not going to sound like a politician. Well, it depends. It does. It, it's different in every organization, but if it needs to be people at the table who decide where, where the revenue streams they want to come from. Um, well, we need to sell more of this or this. We have better margins on this. So it needs to be your sales directors, sales leaders, your revenue managers, um, your sales enablement folks. Like everybody needs to be having this conversation, which, again, goes back to the culture of what kind of organization do you have? If you're trying to do this shit in a, a, a silo and sales is functioning in a silo, I'm going to tell you there's a lot you could improve with that. A lot you can improve with that. Carney, how does that work? You take, you're in a startup situation. Maybe you're growing a little bit and you got the owner or the founder running things, God forbid. Do you just look at, hey, what are the commonalities here? The size of the companies, the the NAT codes? Like what, how do you point these new reps to, uh, to, to go to market? I think that is, if they knew... It would be a much more successful outcome. Right. I think part of it's a guessing game because a lot of times the founder is not a salesperson. The founder is a product or a tech person, right? Mm-hmm. And then the product or that product or tech person, he's sold it a couple times, maybe, you know, 10 times, 15 times. And then he brings in a sales rep and, and he sold it through connections and, and fundraising and all of that. And he just assumes that if he brings in a sales rep, the sales rep is going to be able to figure it out. Yeah, um, I think it's tough. I mean, I'm at a Series D startup, and I've been here nine months at this one, and um, you know, I'd say we're still trying to figure that out. Who, is it safe? It's not. It's not just companies, Pete. Because companies don't buy your product. It's who, like people, buy from people. Mm-hmm. Like who, who are you selling to at a certain organization? that can buy and wants to buy and what's their personal win? Why? Why do they buy? Like, I know I bought this product that I work at. I bought the product and I literally had this, this, uh, uh, this is my sort of my, my valuation. When I was at a previous company that Pete and I were worked at, um, I believe at one point I could walk in and take a shit on the CEO's desk and not get fired. And that was like, I had ultimate job security. I could do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. He's not there anymore. I'm not there anymore. That's at one point. I was there way too long. And then uh, at the the company where I bought this product from before they hired me over, I was like, man, if I install this product, I think I'd be able to take the shit on the uh, CEO's desk and not get fired. That's a personal win to me. I, you know what I mean? Like, well, that's your, that's your, that's what you do. That's your desk. Scal, can you shit on your <laughs> Well, here, let, let, let's be honest here for a second. All data sucks, okay? I don't care mm-hmm. where you buy it from. Oh, the decision maker, you know what? He just got fired. <laughs> it's no longer good. All data, stop. All these guys want perfect data. I'm a data guy. You know, Pete, I'm a data guy, right? Move and your I- data up closer to the microphone. Uh, all these guys are, are uh, data guys, data guys, data guys. I'm a data guy and everybody wants perfect data and they actually cripple themselves because they go through and realize like two or three calls in to this person, that data is inaccurate. And then they discount everything. It's everything's got to be, you got to think of it as directionally correct. And we're doing the best we can. And we're all on the same team and don't stop what you're doing because you've run into some bumps, by the way, that's called Mm -hmm. life. Well, I I will tell you, I agree about the data. Everyone's looking for data. And if you're not, you know, one of the one of the most successful sales campaigns I've ever sort of built for myself and taught sellers is lather, rinse, repeat. If you understand why someone else bought and what their drivers were and why it made sense to them, go find 10 people just like them. And not just the psycho de- psycho demographics, right? Not just company this size or this, but like 
the, okay, so it's a company this size in this geography, but the HR person takes the reins on X, Y, Z versus it being a function of production. Like you have to understand the real reasons why someone buys that. And that lather, rinse, repeat, that used to be what shampoo bottles said for best results, lather, rinse, repeat. But I will tell you the other way to do this is, you know, you need to talk to your customers Better yet, um, we have a colleague from Women's Sales Pros who I think you guys should definitely have on the show, Tanya Brewstrom with Derby, the voice of the customer. She does customer interviews and learns from your customers. They will tell her things that they won't tell you. And the, the one of the most fascinating sh things she said, we said, hey, give us some things that generally happen. And the number one thing she said was, your customers don't buy from you for the reasons you think they buy from you. I went, oh, so insightful. And you know why? Because we are all ego, right? You know, startups, business owners. I work with a lot of um, owners, founders, managing partners, principal partners, and they're so ego that they think this is what we stand for. And this is, and, you know, we got to flip it and understand why our customers buy us and make them the hero of the story. And then we become the guides. That's actually a, a story brand principle. It's really, really different. And it takes the ego out of it. Like, Suck it up, Buttercup. You you know, it's not what you think. Ego gets in the way a lot because you don't listen. Yes. Yes. Selfish. Exactly. Selfish. Yeah, you so, just don't to the customer. So, so, Sean, you gave yourself the title Chief Revenue Officer, and I ask this on every show. Where the hell did the Chief Revenue Officer title come from, and what does it do? How is it different from Chief Sales Officer? Well, I did that because what I was finding with the businesses that I was working with. Um, so I'm in Memphis, right? There's, I mean, there's some sass, there's some sassiness here, but Memphis has a lot of mature industries. We're talking agriculture, biotech, um, uh, medical, uh, transportation, oh, logistics. You know, I work with really sexy things like industrial HVAC. You know, like I hear it sucks. <laughs> so you know. In many of those businesses, you know, 50 million, 200 million, half a billion dollar businesses, they don't even have a marketing department. You know, these are people that bootstrap the shit out of their business. They went to market, they were successful. And then trying to translate that into a sales team, it's here's what I did. Go do it, fellas. And I say fellas because there are very rarely ever any females on the sales team. And so it, I, I, I became the chief revenue officer in that it's not just the sales department that can produce revenue. You've got the customer service team. You've got the project managers that can upsell. You've got um, the marketing, you know, contractor who's building your website, who thinks I, I needed to sort of be at a level where I could say, yes, no, yes, no. We need to treat the whole organization. Um, anything that, that, that drives revenue or can screw up revenue is something that we can advise on. And that, that's where I built my title. And I, I honestly think it was, I don't know when chief revenue officer became a thing, but it was like nine years ago. So and I've just Whoa. Always... nine years. That's the longest. Is that the longest you've heard, Carney? Longest tenured CRO ever. They last <laughs> what a year and a half to eighteen months? Is that what? No, we're nine I, I years. I fired myself several times, but I mean, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I then maybe just... maybe you restart your tenure every year and a half. You just fired yourself. Maybe, <laughs> maybe long nine day. years. <laughs> well, let's let's talk sales structure, like. How do you build a sales strategy? How do you differentiate from the competition? You know, startups, grownups, what's the typical mistakes you've seen in both? So, you know, I I think there's a, a mistake that people make a lot and it's um, a sales structure. It's, well, let's go find sellers. We want the drivers. We want the, the cowboys. And oftentimes when a company engages me, uh, especially to stand up a sales program, it's because they failed several times. It's actually one of my pre-qualifiers. If you haven't failed in doing this before, I probably don't want to work with you yet because it's not painful enough. <laughs> I, I don't know if you're willing to spend the money to hire me, et cetera. But so one of the things I want people to understand is that building a sales strategy, building a sales program, it doesn't start with uh, a market assessment. It doesn't start with your strategy. It actually, you got to rewind and you have to go back to the culture of what you're building. Because in this day and age, um, correct me if you think I'm wrong, by all means, I'll take constructive criticism pretty well. I'm like, 
tell you, you know, whatever. We have no problems but, giving it. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, other than if you're first to market, most things have between three and 300 com competitors, right? Especially in the technology, it's kind of like the great equalizer. Something's going to come catch up with you if you're a market leader, or a pioneer in a space. So technology is kind of a great equalizer for businesses big and small. There's not going to be a ton of differentiation in your product, your um, the services that you know might be the terms you provide, the colors on your website, the brand, whatever. So what you need to do is differentiate the experience that your customers have. So it is, and that starts with a very specific decision to hire and live through the cultures and values of your organization. It doesn't just happen that you can only build a culture to drive experiences in the sales in the sales department. I've been in TV. I've been in print. I've been in places where so many other people in the organization can screw up my delivery and screw up my commission and piss off my customer. If you don't start with an organization that understands how to, you know, get everyone on board with sharing the values and the in the beliefs, then you're screwed, right? You can't just build strategy in a silo. It will get screwed up someplace else. It doesn't live in a silo. So that's my biggest tip, especially for starting up and starting out. What kind of culture do we have? What do we believe in? What are the beliefs that we don't want to just write our values on the wall? What do we, how do we live through those? Because then you need to create a, an employee experience if you want your employees to create a customer experience, you have to invest in those internal customers, which are your employees. So from the way you recruit to the way you hire, onboard, train, develop, invest, celebrate, um, you know, correct feedback, let them fail. That's all got to be aligned with how you want them to deliver an experience for your customers, because the customer experience is the big differentiator right now. So in the structure, <laughs> what's the first what's the first hire? You? Yeah. <laughs> well, well you, need I mean, to, you need to, like, I, I think you bucket it into like three things. You need to prepare, right? So there's, you need to understand the marketplace, understand the competitors, understand what you are driving that the customers want. Then you need to come up with a plan, right? Like a playbook or a plan of some sort. Yep. And then you need to perform. And I think it, when perform is now you've got to execute and you got to monitor the execution of that, of those tactics. Yep. I think I would imagine for you, it's prayer, prepare and plan. And by the way, planning always happens because especially in a startup, you might know what you're delivering, but you might not know who you're delivering to. So you're constantly rethinking the plan. Absolutely. And so, yeah. that, right. But I will tell you, you can adjust the plan and adjust the strategy. But if, if, if it's, if you're all on board with the experience you want your customers to have to choose you, that won't change, right? The strategy might change a little bit of, okay, well, we mm. went fishing in this pond and these aren't quite the right fish, or this isn't yeah. quite the right bait, or our messaging's not quite right, or the steps of our sales process aren't, aren't quite there. But you know, the belief that we want our customers to feel a certain way is where I would start. And I think it adds a little bit of art to the sales process. So I talked, I've talked a little earlier, like, you know, raise your freak flags and you will find your freaks. There's so little differentiation between a lot of products and services. How do you make decisions? If I'm going to buy, if I'm going to buy Sharpies, right? I'm going to line up all the Sharpies and say, well, that one has a fine point. We don't look for the sameness. The sameness is not how, that's not what helps us make decisions. It's the differences. So the way you show up is different is super important. And if it's in something like terms or whatever, you got to get their attention first. And, and that's going to be in the way you go to market by um, showing people how your, your culture and your personality on your website, letting your sales reps have some personality and input into their messaging or um, having, uh, you know, some of that personality show up. If you look sound and sell the same as your competition, it's going to be a hell of a lot harder for people to choose you. Hey, Sean, what, what are some of the biggest fuck-ups that you've seen going into a situation in an engagement? What Maybe it's not a huge one, but what are some of the more common ones that you see that you go in and correct? Uh, you know, really not understanding why people buy you. 
and not meeting people where they are, um, not putting your customer first. If, if a customer can't show up to your website or um, your, you know, your LinkedIn page and see themselves, that's the, that's a very, very, very common mistake. We're all really, you know, we're all myopic, right? We want to sell this. This is why we think it's awesome. This is why someone should appreciate what we have. This is why someone would value it. And, you know, if you, if you can't, take the blinders off or have someone help you do that. It's very hard to create your own messaging and branding um, because you get it. You're so jazzed about what your startup does, or you're so jazzed about your product. You know, all the different things, but it might not be what someone else values. That's where that I call it customer currency. When I was talking about, you know, looking for people that wanted to be on TV versus people that wanted to buy ratings, they're buying the same thing, but for very different reasons. So, the biggest, biggest mistake is telling people why you think they should buy your, your product or service. It's telling people what's so great about it versus letting people see themselves when they show up, which is, you know, talking about the pain points. It's using their language. It's not using the technology stuff. I'll give you an example. I had a client, a relatively small uh, operation, um, <laughs> did uh, tech for small businesses, like doctor's offices, law firms. The And so he's like, look, I'm just the like the black eyed peas and cornbread of technology support here. But his marketing team had put, we do firewall, blah, blah, blah. And we do um, systems in, I mean, I didn't understand what they did. And this is on a big poster right before he goes to uh, a conference. And I said, who, who do you, who do your salespeople meet with? Who do they talk to? Is it the office managers? Yeah. Do they understand any of this shit? No. We fix computers. When when Susan opens and scam email and shuts everything down, that's when we step in. Like talking to people and, and reflecting the way that they want to use your or what they might value in their own words, in their own circumstances, is a way to, to draw people closer to you faster. Big it's mistake, I say very, very often. Let's talk performance management. There's an art to be able to tell somebody they're not holding up their end and not hurting their feelings. How do you how do you coach companies on that? And what what are the methods that you do to uh, to put a bar for performance? I, I think so. This is I've been in, in some companies that I probably should have pre qualified harder and stayed longer yeah. than I would have. And I want to speak to especially growing, building, scaling companies. I know that that's a big part of this audience, right? So yeah. if you're if you're pulling up terms like accountability, we need to have we need, you know, to have accountability in here. I think we got to go back because if you're not hiring people that can be naturally accountable, you're you're it's it's broken and it's actually a leadership problem. So going back to that culture of Hiring people that are highly uh, operate with a high uh, level of integrity are highly accountable. It it means that they're going to take responsibility. You can't hold someone accountable. The the very definition is to be responsible for one's own actions. So accountability, I found when people start throwing that around in sales organizations, it means they're looking for someone to blame, and some shit was broken down the line where we didn't monitor, correct, enhance or structure something correctly. So that's been my very painful experience working with small mid-sized businesses is when we start throwing around the term accountability, shit was broken a long time ago. Um, we didn't get in there and, and go on that ride along or listen to the, the customer interaction or dig through the pipeline soon enough. We didn't maybe hire someone that we understood what their what their personal integrity and responsibility is. And if if you are in an organization, you start laying down the law and accountability means, well, you either make this quota or you're gone and start, you know, that threat of firing, you're going to seize up a lot of the creativity and a lot of the try and a lot of the efforts and people will be afraid to fail. You're you're actually going to cut off your nose to spite your face if you are laying down the law of accountability. Might not be but, the most popular opinion, but yeah. I've seen it. I've lived it. I'm going to tell you, you got to you got to roll backwards. Usually, it's a leadership problem. It's almost like well, it's a recruiting problem. Bring somebody in because somebody left, and then somebody has to take up the slack. And they're so sick of taking up the slack that they just want to hire anybody to free mm -hmm. up you know, their time, and then you got a bad seed and you got a mishire. How long do you think you should allow a mishire to stay in the organization? 
Oh my gosh. So this is an awful saying, but Barbara Corcoran <clears throat> from uh, Shark Tank, the a real estate mogul, you're familiar with Barbara, right? I was listening to some of her comments about how she built her industry. And this is one of the best pieces of advice I think she said. She said, this is terrible. PETA, don't come for me. But she says, shoot the dogs early. And <laughs> I really believe this, right? She would give every quarter, she would fire. Feed the lions, ride the horses, shoot the dogs. Yeah, shoot the dogs early. And that's terrible. But every quarter she would eliminate the bottom 25% performers and the ones that were, um, but they've got a warning first, right? So she would give them six months. And I think six that, months, okay. Yeah. And and I think that varies wildly because every organization, whatever you're selling has its own unique ramp sales time. Cycle, yeah. and the sales cycle, et cetera. But if if someone's struggling and you have invested the time and the energy, you you know where their their heart and their mindset is. They have to have, man, they have to have a growth mindset. I won't hire people that don't have a growth mindset anymore. Like I won't, I will, I will test that. And that is like one of the hardest trying to get an adult to change their behaviors if they have a fixed mindset is like trying to teach a donkey to do calligraphy or something. It is so, so, so hard. It's so difficult. But that being said, everyone I've ever, and I will tell you too, a lot of times my clients hire me to assess their teams and I'm the, I'm the ax person, right? Like I'm the, whoosh, we need to let you go. Yeah. But it always, it's an act of love, right? It's an act of kindness because if someone is struggling and they know they need to go, you need to, you know, they need to go. It really is a compassionate release because they're not going to, if they can't do it for themselves, they're not going to move on. They're not going to learn what they need to learn. They're not going to go someplace where they can flourish. So I have seen people think, well, I just need to give them more tools. I just need to give them more opportunities. I need to give them more leads. No, you need to let them go. Let it go. It's that simple question to ask. If you had a magic wand and you could do it all over, would you hire the person again? There's a hesitation and a no. What, yeah. Why are you wasting? Why are you wasting time? I mean, you, you, you should give them the courtesy of either four weeks, eight weeks, whatever. Like you said, the sales cycle to show that they're putting the effort in. Because if the person's putting in the effort, I think it's it's on us to give them to try <laughs> to give them the skills. And if it's not taking, then it's yeah. you know what it's it's an, a, not a fit. Let's not waste our time. You're meant to do something else, just not right. here. And then to uh, release respectfully, right? Yeah. You got any tips on how you can tell somebody to beat it, but in a nice way? Well, I, I will tell you most of the time I help, they, they know it. And I just help them come with that own, their own conclusion. Um, we'll do some brainstorming about what could be next and what, you know, what's not working, what could be next? What's a better environment? I like to think of your, 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 organization is an ecosystem. If someone can't thrive in that ecosystem, they need to find a different soil. They need to find a different uh, fertilizer. Climate. Yeah, exactly. Fertilizer. So, it, you know, in most of the time when we do that, it, it turns out great. I have had so many sellers reach out to me and say, I've gone back to accounting because it wasn't for me because I helped them come along with that. Oftentimes I can tell, I have a lot of clients that will reach out to me and they're like, I read that blog. My sellers need this. They're not doing this. And, and the more I talk to them, I'm like, before I send you a bill for training and I show up to do this, why don't you let me assess your current sales team? Why don't you let me talk to them? Because I just have an inkling of, at, at the way they're talking about their sales team that they probably don't have the right players on the team. And then I nine out of 10 times will end up recommending that someone needs to either be moved to another seat, which doesn't happen very often because it's, it's, it's not their fit and it's not an ecosystem fit. Um, and we go on from there. Why would, I don't, I'm too pragmatic. Why would you invest thousands of dollars or, or, you know, in, or invest in training someone when they're never going to turn out the way you want them to turn out? Like, let's do this first and then we can do build some skills and, and do skills gap coaching for existing team. I'm very uh, pragmatic. Thanks mom. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Curveball, not a hard one, but doesn't it come down to communication? Like what is the cycle of communication or one-on-ones? They come out of training. 
I mean, it starts in training, right? If they're not paying attention in training, they have to get feedback or they're, you know, out, starts there, right? How many people have fallen asleep in your class? They do. You're an awesome trainer, but you just get that one. It's like, oh, my God. What's the cycle for communication and feedback for people in their first six months, you think? First of all, if you don't take notes on the damn worksheet I provided, it really pisses me off. I mean, it really pisses me off. <laughs> I I work really hard on that. <laughs> no, it, you know, in onboarding or I actually don't even call them training. I call it skills builder sessions anymore because just a side note, my goal in training is for everyone to, to learn something that they can apply. So you get incremental growth from everyone where, no matter where they are. Some people have more experience in their, I, I call them leery layers. They're like, yeah, I know everything. Who is this fish? What? I don't need to be here. It, you know, you, you can, you can tell when they show up, they've got a closed mindset. Mm, my goal is to get them to go like, that was cool. That was amazing. I really learned something. So there's something for everyone, but you know, if, if they're not invested in it, um, that, that really, that would hack me off, especially as a business owner, investing the money in it. Look, people come oh. on board. I mean, it starts the, the power, the most power you ever have is right before the offer letter gets sent right. out. So it's like, Hey, I'll take you on, but I'm concerned about these levels. You check, you know, you got ADHD, whatever. <laughs> That's a health concern, but giving them feedback to, Hey, you know what? Here's what I like. Here's what I don't like. Here's what I'm leery about. What's the best <laughs> communication cycle for somebody in their first six months, somebody in their first year, a newbie versus a veteran? How do you give feedback that, hey, here's what I like. Here's what you got to improve on. And then you check right. on that they listen to you. Well, I'll, I'll tell you that one of the things that I love about um, someone who takes this for take takes what I'm offering very seriously in their hiring and onboarding process is transparency. I think that hiring ugh, it used to be this. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold my cards close, and, and then you hold your cards close, and it's like a win lose you know game when you're hiring. But I like to let it all out, and 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 when I'm helping my clients hire, I get. I get real candid with people and I want a real high level of transparency. They want them to let their guard down. So I get to know them, right? If you're going to add someone to your team that you want to drive revenue, to collaborate, to work with everybody, I need to get to know them. And one of the things I want to do is understand during that process, where are the skills gaps? So if it's, um, so I put them, I do a lot of, I help them with a lot of testing, practical interviews, role play strategy samples, that kinds of stuff. So I understand, okay, I love these nine things. Here's some place where we need to do some skills gap coaching. A lot of my clients will bring me on to do that. Where else you can do that if you don't have a a manager or a development process is pair them up with a peer that is strong in that area. You know, if you know that there's an area that they need to grow in, find someone, I don't care if it's Susan from accounting, who is an amazing communicator and her emails are the best. Set them down with Susan and talk about some of the nuances. I found that very helpful to find someone else in the organization who is strong there and to spend some time with them. It doesn't always have to be the sales director or the sales manager. Um, find another source. Like you can pair them with somebody else. You can make it. Sometimes I'll make them do the homework outside of the, the sales side of the company say, come to me with some resources that you think will help you build this skill and strengthen this skill, whether it be Toastmasters. I have sent many a junior associate to work on their communication. I've had to develop a whole executive presence because I find that some very um, people early in their career, I'm not trying to say Gen Z, but some people very early in their career talk in stream of consciousness. And they don't organize, prepare, and then let the silence in their conversations. That's very difficult. So there, I mean, there's a lot of things you can do. It, it, I don't be afraid. I don't. I know we want to work in processes. We want to have systems. We want to make everything so it's replicatable. We want to scalable. But you gotta take into account. You've got individuals on your team. Somebody needs just a little something that's unique to them to help them become the best player on your team that they can be. So what is organizational gravity? <laughs> uh, so let's put all these things together, Pete. <laughs> okay. So if you think about, I, I really, I started, so some of my clients, they, um, they're project managers. It was uh, industrial HVAC. And then I have a client that's in roofing and they have project managers. They're selling, but yet they also need to be, you know, product experts in it. And what I found is that 
if you don't try to create an organization that your customer, your, your employees want to be part of, or that people want to be employed in, and you keep promoting and developing and, and giving them new skills and things like that, then why do you, they want, why do customers want to come on board with you, right? Organizational gravity is like this design a very specific employee experience. Who do we want on our team? What kind of values do we want them to live by? Design that recruiting, hiring, onboarding, celebration, collaboration, development, growth, invest in the things your employees need, doggy daycare, or um, help them learn Spanish. Everybody's got something, right? So you're creating this orbit, you know, this gravity that keeps your employees in orbit because they love working there. And then it starts picking up your customers. When customers see that your employees love working there, be it customer service, the delivery driver, your salespeople, customers know that, they feel it. And then they become, you know, in your orbit and then the gravity keeps them there. They're more loyal. They're, your margins are higher. The sales cycle is shorter. Sales process is simpler. It is taking a, a to Z look at your organization to create something that's not just, well, how much do we spend to acquire a customer? Okay. We need more marketing. We need more lead generation. We need, let's do more software. I mean, I, I honestly think it's going to be the biggest difference in who wins and who doesn't, who survives and who thrives in the next iteration of business is creating. And, and by the way, that's RevOps, right? It's it's all the revenue and operations together. You make a sandwich, make sure it tastes good and not, you know, sales is doing this job. Well, marketing's off here selling a different story. Sales complaints, they don't get any sales qualified leads. Marketing's like, we've got marketing qualified leads. And then your customer service says something and all shits the bed. Yeah. You know. Is, is marketing underneath your world? Well, in a lot of my clients, they don't have a marketing department. They have maybe a marketing person. So a lot of times it's, yeah, we come on board to say, um, okay, what, you know, if your website is me, 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 and your collateral materials are me, 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 and I actually have a really big client like that right now, and your sales, you know, what are your, your salespeople sends an email, a warm email introduction, and then they go back to the website. What do you think? You know, they're like, mm -hmm. oh, here's, here's this message. And it's in conflict with what your company is saying about yourself. They don't feel connected. So yeah, marketing's got to, we, we got to play together. That play nice together. That's what I say. They got to be underneath the same leader, or you're going to have two different budgets going at it. Like I, I have it ingrained in my head. Marketing sucks just because there's always been a battle. The leads yeah. suck while sales sucks. You know, I need better yeah. leads. Well, I need better salespeople. It's it's been going on since the beginning of time. I'm a very much. I'm an experiential person. Uh, my favorite thing in the world is to be in, in in sales teams and to be on the sales floor and to be working through messaging with them and to, to collaborate, come up with ideas. Um, please don't make me do an online course. I'd rather chew my own toenails. So <laughs> I don't have that to offer you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what you can do is my website is thesellingagency.com and every week uh, comes out a blog, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I know I've done my job when Monday morning, the, the email goes out and people are like, were you, were you in last week's sales meeting? Did, were you like a fly on the wall? Did you hear that? Because that's the, the, the stuff I'm hearing at the sales table and in the calls and stuff like that is the stuff that I write out. So subscribe to the pipeline. It's always full of good stuff, which is a silly little play on words there. Um, yeah. And then reach out to me. Uh, there's nothing I love more than to get in front of your team, whether it's your sales team, your customer service, your operations team. Everyone has got a little spark and I will throw gasoline on that fire and just stand back. Yeah, that that's my gift. It's helping people realize and empower them to to live up to the things that, that are great inside of them and know what's good. And, and I don't care. I would we'll, rather point be, them, we'll point them to the blog. We'll point them to the yeah, blog. Yeah, I'd rather be with your sales team. So reach out to me, uh, LinkedIn, uh, throw up the bat signal, whatever. Just reach out to me and, and let's have a conversation about how do we create this. Um, how can we suck less? Class? How to suck less. Yeah. 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 And, and I will tell you, I, I pre-qualify pretty hard now. And one of the ways I do that is you go to my website, there's a big fat skunk on it that says sales training stinks, or, um, you know, we coach humans how to sell to other humans and not be, you know, awful sales zombies. It's just who wants to be 
called by a sales zombie and manipulated. It just sucks right now. So, uh, you know, my pre-qualifier, I say shit and some other choice words. If you don't like that, if you do a pearl clutch, that's a Southern thing. Oh, you might not. Pearl be clutch. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So uh, I want to work with organizations that are growth minded and hungry and ready to just do things different. It's super fun. Our show is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. We'd like to thank the Man Farm Winalytics, Trent S. and Aaron J. for their continued support. Demandfarm.com, unlock key account growth, smart software to bring account planning and relationship intelligence into your CRM, making key account management practice data-driven, predictable, and scalable. Go to Demandfarm.com, ask for Iron Man. Hey, check out Brent Keltner's Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass at Winalytics.com. In eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in a new buyer environment. Sign your team up for the Masterclass today at Winalytics.com. If you'd like to help us out to improve the quality of our content, go to Patreon.com slash Sassholes. Sean Carroll Sandy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Pete, thanks for having me. Thanks for playing along. <laughs> thanks for playing ball. Thanks for asking good questions. <laughs> good enough. <laughs>